Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 243 of 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we are talking about a classic piece of literature about a murder on a train, and then a movie about that same classic piece of literature murdered by Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> are we getting tip-offs here? On... <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Spoilers. <clears throat> All right, so yeah, we are doing Mike. Murder on the Orient Express. Not the roller coaster. What? What? Call back to last week. Jeez, you guys forget so quickly. I, got, I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't recall talking about roller coasters at all last week. Wow. Okay. The movie that was starring the explosion. <laughs> Wait, Patrick <laughs> remembers something and we don't? Oh, man. Remember, I'm smoking less. We're in bad shape, Josh. Well, I mean, that much is obvious to look at us. True. <laughs> Which is why we podcast. If you don't want to look at us. <laughs> Damn it, I told it. From... No, I, I was just going to say if you like podcasts. Oh. No. If you like fat guys on the microphone, you might like the Podcast Collective. Fine. <laughs> you can find such shows as On the Block, Dating Baggage, I Am Salt Lake, the Empty Rant Podcast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Rad Dad, Rad Dad Radio Hour. I don't know what that was. What just happened? <laughs> I'm not really sure. That was the bass. Bom, bom, bom. Someone's calling Diana. <laughs> All right. So if you're looking, that was a way back. Joke. That was a Whoa, really way back. Yeah, that joke. is like uh, a 25 year old callback. Oh man. So if you're looking for our older stuff, more than 25 years ago, iTunes, Blu-ray, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and give us a call and tell us about your latest roller coaster stories at uh, 708 now wrap 708-669-9727 and if you're looking to ride a roller coaster on saturdays at noon you can listen to us because that's when the show will go live uh for all of those who went to listen if if this saturday the show is the same i want to apologize because uh what's his name joel who runs schnook, schnook? what who runs schnook. who runs the 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 uh and margaret and margaret and Canfield. Canfield. Who who runs the podcast collective? Oh, Justin. Justin, yeah, Justin needs to send me a new password <laughs> to get to FTP the uh, podcast up to his site. So until he does that, everyone get on Justin's ass and you say, hey, send. Don't forget to send out that email. Wait, is that the podcast collective or is that Jason Sorensen from the uh, ra- uh, the not the Rad Dad Radio Hour? Rad Dad. Uh, uh, Geek Life Radio. No, it's podcast collective. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. Tell him that. Do that thing for me. Get on his ass. Yeah. So, but yeah. So today, murders on trains. Not just a uh, retrospective of commuting in Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) But first. Right. What the hell are you doing? A musical (laughs) soliloquy from Joel, apparently. Thomas the Tank Engine. (laughs) Is that what that was? Yeah, it was a loose rendition. It was the Herb, Herb Mangione. <laughs> Who the hell is Herb Mangione? It was the Herpa Derp. <laughs> All right. Oh, it's God, about, the Herpa Derp is the flag for it being about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports. 
smooth. That was a very good one. Have you been practicing your diction? On Orient Express. I've been practicing my diction. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> 124 times. <laughs> All right. So this week, November 24th, 1974, I was a mere two years old and Patrick was 43. <laughs> I was negative two. It's a premiere of Murder on the Orient Express. I was a little over a month old. Just a wee lad. And Pat, are you trying to kill me this week? <laughs> right. You got a lot to read. Legit, dude. Okay. If everybody's doing the drink every time Joel misspeaks a word. Load up now. <laughs> this should be fun. Let's oh, go. You guys are going to be shit-faced. All right, music. The number one song in the land was also the acronym of the week. I-C-H. I'm pretty sure that's I Chew Hair. i chose to go for the gross out you only gave me three letters to work with (laughs) no that is a song that i really like Uh, it's called i can help i don't know this song do i i don't know that one yeah you know you know it you know it play it hang on i'm looking on yeah i know this song sam jb what's his face is posting he's got an ad that i have to watch on forgive me who's an hour yeah something looks like a doughboy Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very recognizable. (laughs) I almost want to let this play through the whole background. Makes you want to bob. Now, I have... People thought it was Jerry Lee Lewis when when it was first released. Like Joe Tex. Now, I... my Okay, I'm going to say something probably even worse than than that. I Honestly, I thought that was uh, Ringo Starr. You know, I could I could hear someone making that mistake. Like I never would have correctly identified who did that song, and I might have guessed Ringo Starr as well. Cool. I don't feel so douchish then. <laughs> <laughs> did you like douchish. that? Douchish. 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 I agree. Douche. Oh Take a deep breath, Joel. All right. Get your get your drinks ready. George Drink. Clarence <laughs> Brunies, aka. George Brunus was a jazz trombonist who was part of the Dixieland revival. He was known as the king of the tailgate trombone. Born in New Orleans in 1902, his father led a family band, and his brothers Henry, Merritt, Richard, and Abby all became noted professional musicians. By the age of eight, young George was already playing alto horn professionally in Papa Jack Lane's band. A few years later, he switched to trombone. He played with many jazz, dance, and parade bands in New Orleans. He never learned to read music, but could quickly pick up tunes and invent a part for his instrument. He worked on riverboats on the Mississippi River and joined a band of his New Orleans friends playing at the Friars Inn. This was the band that became famous at the New Orleans Rhythm Kings. Drink. Ah, damn it. (laughs) I was so close. He would often end battle of the bands by outplaying other trombonists while operating the slide with his foot. After some time with Louis Prima's band, he landed a bounced around oh, we had bounced around years. is that a, wait but i read it right no that's not an error he read it right oh okay uh bounced around clubs for years until in 1949 he moved back to chicago to lead his own band bernie's often showed off his unusual technical abilities and bizarre sense of humor at the same time for example he would lie on the floor and invite the largest person in the audience to sit in his chest while he played trombone george Brunus died in chicago on november 19th 1974 and he was absurd. that sounds less like a gimmick and more like a fetish right i think that was just you know cleveland steamer <laughs> i want you to sit in my chest while i play the trombone 
I actually, uh, not on this current computer's iTunes, but my last computer, I had a ton of his music. Nice. It was just uh, because at one point uh, I did the New Year's Eve murder mystery party. It was set in New Orleans during the era of jazz. So I had just had a huge uh, MP3 library of Dixieland stuff. And I'd say probably a third of it featured him. All right, here we go. Oh, how many people are on his chest at that point? May not have been the best choice. <laughs> that was obviously one of the uh, funeral. It's <laughs> it supposed to be tin, tin roof blues. So wow, well, you don't bring up blues. You don't don't bring up. <laughs> Never mind. I stepped on your joke and it was funnier. Okay, <laughs> next. Oh boy, watch this one's short, so I'll fuck it up nine ways to Sunday. <laughs> Alan Pineda Lindo was born November twenty eighth. Known professionally as Apple the App. APL.DE.AP. That's the way I would pronounce it. So He is an American Filipino musician, rapper, singer, and record producer, best known as a member of the Grammy Award winning hip hop group, The Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, he's definitely Apple DF. Okay, and I'm not playing anything from that. No, don't you dare. I was trying to think of some words to the songs, but the all I could think of was the alternate version, you know, let's get retarded. Hey, that one. Anyway, okay. Nicholas Rodney Drake was an English singer-songwriter and musician known for his acoustic guitar-based songs. Drake signed to Island Records when he was 20 years old while a student at the University of Cambridge and released his debut album, Five Leaves Left, in 1969. I already know who we're talking about. In 1972, he had recorded two more albums, Brighter Later and Pink Moon. Neither sold more than 5,000 copies on initial release. His reluctance to perform live or to be interviewed contributed to his lack of commercial success. No footage of the adult Drake has ever been released, only still photographs and home footage from his childhood. Drake was initially believed to suffer from major depression, although he was later diagnosed with schizophrenia, and his struggles with mental health were often reflected in his lyrics. After making Pink Moon, he withdrew from both live performances and recording, retreating to his parents' home in rural Warwickshire. On October 25th, at the age of 26, Drake died from an overdose of approximately 30 Um, antipryptoline pills and prescribed antidepressant. His cause of death was determined to be a suicide, and sadly, he was absorbed, which fucking sucks, because Nick Drake was amazing. I actually, like, I've heard of Pink Moon, but I don't think I've ever heard anything from it. It's only five albums total that exist. Those were the the three studio ones that they mentioned there, and it's one of the artists that both my grandfather and I were both fans of, which I found out uh, posthumously, unfortunately. What's he like, like a Pete Seeger type? Uh, he's, he's guitar, singer, songwriter, kind of like, uh, you guys might know if I said Elliot Smith, you're probably more likely to get it than, uh, Mark Kozelik, but nope, not nope. Elliot Smith. You don't know Elliot Smith died young, but just basically him and an acoustic guitar. And, and and there were some other instrumentation and a lot of his songs, but primarily, um, kind of folky, I guess. Okay. Well, maybe I'll check him out. He's amazing. Uh, last in music, and I've survived with only one fuck-up, I think. I know. I know. It was on the word as. <laughs> That's the best part. It was the shortest word possible. November 28th was John Lennon's last concert appearance at the Elton John concert in Madison Square Gardens, New York City. Oh. He went out I there and three songs at Elton John's concert. It was the last time he ever performed. That's sad. And Jared Leto had to go shoot him. Jared Leto. Did I miss something? Jared. In 
All right, movies. Jared Leto <laughs> played. Yeah, Mark David Chapman in the movie. Oh, did not know that. Okay, but uh, the num the number one movie in the land was the new re- uh, newly released. Drink. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> Murder on the Orient Express. This Marissa may be Ryan. a new thing. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking this may be a new thing for us. <laughs> what? Every time somebody misspeaks. Mis- see? There Miss you go. Fakes? This, this, this will be a new thing. Every time Every time we do a podcast, Mike will get drunk. <laughs> That's a new thing. <laughs> Marissa Ryan was born on November 20th in New... <laughs> <laughs> I win! Marissa Ryan was born on November 20th in New York City. She is an actress and director known for Wet Hot American Summer, Cold Hearts, and Major Dad. She has been married to Nathan Graff since 2008 after divorcing Jeremy Sisto. Okay, let's try to go zero for three here. (laughs) On November 25th, Rosemary Lane, an American actress who starred in An Angel from Texas, Four Mothers, and Harvest Melody, died from diabetes and pulmonary obstruction at 61. You tried. I tried to. Which word was I struggling with? Pulmonary construction. Well, and somebody moved their cursor right over pulmonary obstruction as I was reading. I didn't mean to. I'm just trying to keep up with where he's reading. (laughs) He was creating his own obstruction. All right. Now this is where the revenge comes in. TV. All right. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it just like it says. The top shows in the land were All in the Family, Sanford and Son, Chico and the Man, and the Jeffersons. Yes. That was a very diverse lineup. But very 70s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very 70s. I like Chico and the Man. I've never seen an episode. I see. I saw a bunch of it. Yeah. yeah. I do. I do have to say, out of the four of those, my favorite is probably Sanford and Son. That's the one I probably watched the most, followed by the Jeffersons. Because I was going to say the Jeffersons was my show out of those four. Uh-huh. And mine is All in the Family. I did not like the Jeffersons. No. Nope. Didn't like the British guy with the huge chin. No, I, I, I didn't like the character of George Jefferson. And I think for me, it was more that was a show that my family watched. Like, I, mm. I don't know that it was religiously, but enough that as a little kid, I can remember knowing the theme song. Right. I mean, Sanford and Son I loved, and Chico and the Man just felt like a ripoff of Sanford and Son. I always thought it was a cop show for some reason. <laughs> I could see that. I did. I don't know. I never. I knew nothing about it, but just the title of it and the few pictures of Freddie Prince that I'd seen, I was like, is that like a cop show, like Starsky and Hush or something? But No, it was a show about uh, Freddie Prince and Chico Marks. A buddy cop comedy, dude. I, I would watch that. I would watch the shit out of that. I, I hate to say, I would totally too. That would be something. Everywhere, I would watch. everywhere there's a murder, there's also a piano somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Not Harpo. Jesus, the cops. Uh, on uh, November 24th, Stephen Merchant, British comedian, drink, drink, British comedian, was born. With Ricky Gervais, he co-created The Office in Britain. I have the first season on DVD. I watched the entire run of the UK Office. It was really, really difficult at times, but the last couple episodes were amazing. So, <laughs> struggle through four seasons and the last two shows are fantastic? It's worth it, <laughs> but you have to see all of it to get the last couple episodes. Yeah, the whole dance scene. and It's, oh. Oh, it's uh, just fucking amazing. All right, so uh, Tammy Lynn Michaels was born on November 26th in Lafayette, Indiana. She is married to Melissa Etheridge and is now an American actress who was a regular cast member on the show Popular and guest starred on the Showtime drama The L World. Word. 
<laughs> drink. I'm drunk. <laughs> That's the show, folks. Have a good night. <laughs> and I'm not even drinking alcohol. That's the worst part. <laughs> it's I am pee. so hydrated right now. <laughs> I'm drinking water. Guys, I'm super hydrated. All right. Why would you do this to yourself? I'm looking I at sports. Know. Why would you do this? He's, he's trying to make up for what he did to me. Malik Jabari Rose was born November 23rd. He is a former NBA basketball player, a former broadcaster for the Philadelphia 76ers, and current manager of basketball operations for the Atlanta Hawks. On April 11th, 2017, Rose was promoted to the general manager of the Erie Bayhawks, which is a D-League team just under the NBA. He won two championships with the San Antonio Spurs in 99 and 03. All right, that's enough about Malik. On November 24th at the 24th NASCAR Sprint Cup, Richard Petty won. That's enough about NASCAR. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dudley Michael Hargrove was born October 26th. He is a former MLB first baseman and manager. Hargrove batted and threw left-handed. He played for the Rangers, the Padres, and the Indians. After retiring, he went on to manage the Indians, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Seattle Mariners. He is currently employed as an advisor with the Cleveland Indians. That was the most bland sports thing ever. Yeah, I'm reading it. I'm like, I I could have gone without even typing that up. <laughs> kind of wish you'd deleted it halfway through the sentence. <laughs> yep, exactly. But not this one, because this is a good one. James Walter Cinderella Man Braddock was an American boxer who was the world heavyweight champion from 1935 to 1937. Fighting under the name James J. Braddock, he was known for his spoiling, counterpunching style, powerful right hand, and his iron chin. He had lost several bouts due to chronic hand injuries and was forced to work on the docks and collect social assistance to feed his family during the Great Depression. He made a comeback, and in 1935, he fought Max Bear for the heavyweight title and won. For this unlikely feat, he was given the nickname Cinderella Man by Damon Runyon. He died on November 29th, and the 2005 biographical film Cinderella Man told Braddock's story. Directed by Ron Howard, it starred Russell Crowe as Braddock and Renee Zellweger as his wife, May. Cool. I remember that. Yeah, I'd heard of the movie, but didn't know anything about the guy. And um, that's partially um, where uh, Sylvester Stallone drew some of his inspiration for Rocky was Braddock. Nice. I could see that. All right. So, murder. Wait. Oh, you know, we forgot something. I was waiting for it. Take us out, keyboard Joel. (laughs) One of these days, he's going to change his tune. And I don't know what we're going to do. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Murder on the Orient Orient Express. Murder. 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 1974. uh, This story was one of my first encounters with, I I don't even know if I mentioned this on the book show, but Agatha Christie was my first favorite author. Murder. Really? (laughs) Yeah, before Tolkien, before C.S. Lewis, before Dungeons and Dragons, I had Agatha Christie, and I still have most of my original paperbacks. I think and Steinbeck was mine. If I had to pick your first favorite. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I loved yeah. Animal Farm. Oh wait, no, that's Orwell. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, in in class in the sixth or seventh grade, uh, we were reading this as a class, and the day before the class was supposed to find out uh, the solution to the murder. The ending was spoiled on Cheers. <laughs> yep, I there's love an episode. Story. There's an episode where Fraser Crane uh, gets something spoiled for him, <gasps> and in retaliation, he spoils the ending to all of these classic things. And the last thing he does is spoils the ending to the murder on the Orient Express. And it was the night before 
in the next day in class, we we're going to read the ending. And since oh, it was Cheers, funny. Uh, everybody watched it because everybody watched Cheers. So every kid in the class had the ending spoiled for them one day before. That's and awesome and awful. I, I was trying to remember what I, what I had seen it on that had spoiled it for me. And until he said that, I knew it was a show because I've known the ending yeah, to it Luke, for a long Darth time. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Um, he says one uh, one other thing, and then he's like, yeah, and on Mur- Murder in the Orient Express, they all did it. And that's crazy that now you remember that. Right? Yeah. I almost spoiled the ending for you yesterday. I totally forgot about that line. That's funny. God, what was the second thing? Oh, Rosebud was the sleigh. That's what the second one was. Sled. Yeah. Sled, yeah, yeah. I wish I could find that because I remember his rant was awesome. Yeah. But but what's, that's not what we're discussing. Josh also had another interesting hap- thing happen. Yeah. When this. watching these, uh, my wife had never had the – she'd never read it. She'd never seen it and never had the ending spoiled. And I very nearly ruined it for her. Fortunately, I found out before I shot my mouth off that uh, she had not seen it. And then you would try to spoil it for me. <laughs> yes. Yep. And it's, yeah, this, I actually got the year this happened, uh, the, the spoiling for me in Cheers. It was 1988. The episode was Tale of Two Cuties. That's funny. Huh. I forgot all about that line. That's funny. See, that's the oh. thing is I can't uh, – I think we talked a, lot, a little bit about this before the show. I can't th- imagine somebody not knowing the ending to Murder on the Orange Express. Right? I had just never read it or seen it or anything. It just was one of those little pockets of pop culture that had somehow escaped me. We all have them. Huh. And Sarah, in her defense, I mean, she is younger than the rest of us. So, I mean, she missed the episode of Cheers. Uh, yeah, well, I would think so. In 88, she would have been six. So maybe. Is this it? This might be it. But, I mean, the book came out in 34, so we can't really call spoilers. Right. Hang on, I think this. No, I don't think this is it. Just says Dickens. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing, Dixon. Google Dixon. Fire Phone. Jesus, I can't. I'm not searching this out. Anyway, so uh, Mur- I remember watching these l- long ago when they were on cable. This was like in the main rotation on probably Showtime when I was a kid. Uh, watched a lot of Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile. Um, <clears throat> I forgot a couple others, but the mystery ones were totally, I was totally down with when I was a kid. Trying to figure out who did it before the end, before they figured it out, before they told you, basically, was a big thing in my family. We'd watch it, and all if it was something we hadn't seen before, there was always that race to figure out who, who was the one who had done it. And for this one, I remember sitting there eating pizza. We'd get a, get a pizza, watch the movie, and I think it was my sister who was just like, they all did it. And that's it. And then she just went back to eating her pizza, and we totally disregarded everything she said because we're like, "That's <laughs> stupid." There's like a dozen of them. But at the end of the movie, we're like, "God damn it! <laughs> the six-year-old was right. Who knew?" Um, <laughs> That'd be great if like she read the book before, you know, already, and she just decided just to fuck it up for all of you. <laughs> yeah, at six years old, I can completely see my sister doing that. <laughs> so, uh, director does have a little Machiavellian side. To her. <laughs> she really does. <laughs> Um, directed by Sidney Lumet. Who Sydney you, Lumet. Lumet? Yeah. Okay. I can never, my, he's American. Not French. Okay, so known for directing such other uh, lesser-known movies, I guess, as 12 Angry Men, which oh. is oh, fantastic. Dog Day Afternoon. Also fantastic. Before the mm-hmm. Devil Knows You're Dead. I mean, the guy's... Damn. Yeah. Which was de- okay. Oh! <gasps> 
Oh, man, he directed Death Trap <laughs> with sexy Michael Caine. Yep. And Serpico. And, yep. and I'm able to stand Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sad. Okay, it's gone. Um, the, the dude had a hell of a career. Yeah, he did. I mean, there is not Garbo Talks. That's another. That was just a reason to record Greta Garbo, I'm sure. We got to do a Death Trap show, man. If anybody out there can think of a movie that would match up with Death Trap, let me know. I want to watch Death. He directed The Wiz? What? about The Parent Trap? The, no. Yeah, I mean, this guy is one of the big directors that doesn't often get named in the list of big directors. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, going through his stuff, it's all movies that you're like, oh, my God, I remember seeing that. Oh, my God, I remember watching that. So uh, the screenplay by Paul Den uh, also wrote Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. <gasps> also wrote Goldfinger. <gasps> and this is actually his last um, last movie. He also did the uh, adaptation of uh, he did Escape and Conquest of the uh, Apes. No, and Beneath. Um, he has a lot of and taming of the shrew. Yeah, conquest is my favorite of the outside of the original. Is that the one with the nuclear bomb? No, that's beneath. Oh, okay. Conquest is where um they're on Earth, where Zira and Cornelius go to Earth, and their son is now um t- t- the apes are all prisoner or all slaves to the humans, and when they rise up to take over. Oh, yeah, that's conquest. Okay. So, also, uh, Agatha Christie, who's known for writing these novels, and Anthony Schaefer, who's uncredited, but was part of the writing team, and also wrote Frenzy, Sleuth, and uh, The Wicker Man, the original one, 1973. There's a crossover. There's a a future show right there, The Wicker Man Show. I'm sick that week. (laughs) The bees! The Wicker Nipple Show! (laughs) You know, it was crazy looking at the trailer for the remake and looking at how great the cast was. I had no idea how much better the cast for its time was on this. Uh, we're about to talk about the cast, but when I just saw the list, I was like, holy crap. Oh, yeah. the This this list of uh, actors for this one. So we have first off, we have Albert Finney as Hercule. Josh, help me with this one. Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. <laughs> I mean, Albert Finney is one of those guys that he's been in everything. When you're like, okay, the same guy was the chubby little egg-shaped head Belgian detective and Daddy Warbucks. Yep. Yep. And he was in Big Fish. Oh, yeah. And uh, Aaron Brockovich. Oh, yeah. And he did an excellent uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh, yeah. So this this guy, and he rarely looks the same in two roles. He's kind of like the 70s um, crap. Just lost his name, like I always do. Joel, help me out. Right. He was Lupin in Lupin. He was uh, Zorg in uh, Fifth Element. Gary Oldman? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of like the 70s Gary Oldman. Zorg. Zorg? No, Zorg Zerg was um, Toy Story. So. Yeah. All right, so this stars Albert Finney, Lauren freaking Bacall <laughs> as Ms. Hubbard, uh, Martin Balsam as Bianchi. Regular in Charles Brownson films? <laughs> Uh, Ingrid Bergman as Greta. Jacqueline. Yeah, so you've got like a, a beauty of her golden age, like in her older years in Ag- Ingrid Bergman. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the beginning of the career of Jacqueline Bissett in the same film. Yeah. This isn't her first movie, but this is near the start of her career. Yeah, it really, it, it really is. Um, well, Jacqueline Bissett as Countess Andreve. Uh, Jean-Pierre Cassel as Pierre. 
uh, Sean Connery <laughs> as Colonel Arbanoff, John Gielgud as Beddoes, Wendy. Sir. John I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not listed as Sir in the IMDb list. Well, I, that's one of those things. Like, if you're a John Gilgood fan, and I'm yeah. glad Joel was right there with me. Yeah, he is Sir John Gilgood, peer of the realm. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Wendy Hiller as Princess Dragomiroff. Probably saying that wrong too. So Dragomiroff. Dragomiroff. Um, Anthony Perkins as the youngin in the group. Oh, I love Anthony Perkins as McQueen. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Mary. Talk about young. She she was she was hot. Let's put oh, it yeah. that way. But she was definitely too old for the character that you guys described because I didn't realize that Devin Ham uh, was well. It so long as the relationship between the Countess Andrani and Mary Debenham is consistent, like either Countess Andrani's eighteen and Mary Debenham is in her late twenties, early thirties. Or, as in this case, Countess Andrani is in her early 20s, and uh, Mary Debenham is in her mid to late 30s. It works. And we're going to talk about that same problem with the casting in the remake. Right. Rachel Roberts is Hildegard. Um, another one of those characters that you don't realize you've seen her everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, was actually in one of my, one of my favorite 70s com- comedies, also, uh, in Foul Play, with uh, Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. Richard Widmark as Ratchet. Yeah, Oscar winner Richard Widmark. He was the killer in uh, the original Kiss of Death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also in Coma. Um, one of the little trivia that was in there also is that Richard Widmark uh, joined this group because he found out who else was in it. And he's like, I would really love to meet those people. No kidding. I mean, this this <laughs> just like elevates your resume, just being in the room with some of these titans of the industry. Oh, yeah. Michael freaking York. As, yep. You know, I remember him as Logan, <laughs> and some people out there are going to remember him as Basil Exposition. Oh! Yep. Uh, Colin Blakely as Hardman. Uh, this is a little bit less known, but he he's a very strong um, strong actor. He's kind he's kind of like the background uh, person in this. In fact, if remember when we did the um, Sherlock Holmes show, and we there was one called The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes. He plays Doctor Watson in that. So and George Culiaris, yeah, George Culiaris. Uh, he's another one of these guys that you see. He's a minor character in a lot of really big films. Yeah, well, like Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, little movies like Citizen Kane and Clockwork Orange. Yeah, completely. Uh, also, Dennis Quilly as Foscarelli, who <laughs> he's not as not as well known as the rest of them, but he's still up there. He's another one of those that you recognize from being in the other movies as secondary characters. But so we already know. Oh, no, we're not trivia next. (laughs) Sorry. 84 year old Agatha Christie attended the movie in November of 1974. It was the only film adaptation in her lifetime that she was completely satisfied with. Wow. In particular, she felt that Albert Finney's performance came closest to her idea. And although it was reportedly unimpressed with his mustache, (laughs) the premiere would be her final public appearance because she would die 14 months later in January of 1976. That's crazy. And her murder is still unsolved. (laughs) Jessica Fletcher did it. Yeah, that's my (laughs) guess, man. Everywhere that woman goes. 
Uh, since Albert Finney required many hours of makeup procedures before shooting each day, and because he was performing a stage play at the same time, he didn't have much time for his badly needed sleep. A daily routine was developed, where an ambulance arrived to pick up the sleeping actor at his house in his pajamas, carefully trying not to wake him up. During the half-hour commute to the studio, the makeup artist would begin the rough work on his face. The rest of the fine detail work was completed at studio on a still-sleeping Finney. I'm calling bullshit on IMDb on this one. That is too friggin' ridiculous. Yeah, that seems a little far-fetched. I want to believe. I, I yeah. yeah, that's the thing. I really do want to say that is what they did, but at the same time, it's like, no. I mean, well, actually, I take that back. I've seen Pat sleep. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you could do a good that. point. <laughs> you can't wake Pat up for shit. Yeah, I was going to say, you could reassign Pat's gender, and he'd only wake up right at the end. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you like that. Um, the <laughs> actual voice. Actual Orient Express trains were no longer in existence at the time of the shooting. However, the real Orient Express engine was used in the film, although it couldn't travel very far. Only portions of the carriages still existed in museums, mostly in Belgium, and sometimes had to be recreated from the real portions borrowed. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, the line, uh, even the line, not the original trains, but even the line has not been running for 11 years now. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, it keeps getting flooded with snow. That's not efficient. Albert, yeah. Albert Finney's denouement summation at the film's climax runs eight pages in the script. Damn. Yeah. Denouement. Sorry. Denouement. It's good enough for Americans. I was expecting, if there was one of those little fletchy things at the top of it, I would have known that then. That would be, could you imagine having an eight-page monologue in any of the plays? No. 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 (laughs) It's like... All right, we got a great ending for this. We need you to read this magazine. (laughs) So, uh, Hercule Perot has been played by 25 different actors between radio, film, and television. That was what we just found out when we were doing pre-show. Yep. And, yeah, he's he's always been my favorite of Christie's detectives. Not not a big Miss Marple fan. No? No. Miss Marple can suck an egg. Wow, that's kind of strong... Well, I said it, and I stand by it. All right, so I, I'm most interested as a long-time, perhaps the longest-time fan of this particular story of our group, hearing Pat's take on this since he was the person who saw it fresh. You're interested in hearing that? Oh, that absolutely. Yeah, that's that's super interesting to me. Um, first of all, I really like this Hercule Perot. He was very uh, impish and kind of just... Uh, very, he was a very strange character, which you know is, is exactly how I imagine Agatha Christie must have written him, because otherwise, why would you take it so far? Um, and then his, his whole like bedtime routine was cracking me up until he started putting the gloves on and everything. And, All right, now we're getting creepy. <laughs> well, like, definitely a very particular gentleman. Yeah, and just I mean, um, I enjoyed this movie very much. Um, I've mentioned before in some of our episodes about how I try to like not solve mysteries like this and just watch them and enjoy it. And I never really at any point um, figured it out, really. I mean, I, I suspected at one point it would, and kind of like what you said earlier, Mike, you know, it's like, I suspected at one point, maybe did all of them do it when there was like 12 people and 12 steps? But then I was like, no, they wouldn't all do it. That's dumb. I even discounted my own and I just kind of got lost in it. And I thought the performances were really good. I liked the, I liked the train setting. It made me very, it made me kind of want to 
made me want to take a, like a long train ride somewhere, like and murder people. Yeah, and just get and just commence stabbing. All right, I was gonna be on board with that until that <laughs> until the stabbing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was actually something that uh, we watched this all as a family. The girls had already seen it uh, a year or so ago, <clears throat> but that was one of the uh, things that Suzanne was like. I r- would love to go on a train ride, you know, north to south, uh, like on the um, city the of New Orleans. City of New Orleans. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's a train trip that Sarah and I want to do. If, if you do the Pullman car, it's kind of expensive, but uh, like you got to make that part of the point of the trip. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it would be very interesting to do something like that. But um, overall, most of the performances I thought were very solid. There were some that were stronger than others. The uh, the princess was a little bit over the top. Um, Anthony Perkins was was pretty good as just you know playing. The, he almost felt like a lighter version of Norman Bates. They even threw in a mother joke at one point. That I thought was pretty witty for the time. I was, I was just like, oh, they were even doing meta jokes back then, huh? But <laughs> yeah. if, you've, if you've seen him in other films, he that's just the way he acts. <laughs> it's yeah, just but Anthony you Perkins. could see a little bit of like Norman Bates meets Jimmy Stewart in his performance, but he wasn't like doing an impression. So I thought it was a really cool take for the character. Well, and I wanted to mention Pat, before you continue, uh, you're talking about, uh, Poirot. He's he's um, <laughs> like any great detective. Uh, well, the ones that are most memorable, they're very, um, you know, they're quirky. Like, you know, even Sherlock Holmes was quirky and he definitely is very, very, very quirky. Yeah. And there was wow. definitely an influence from uh, Sherlock Holmes on the character of Hercule Poirot. I mean, he's got a uh, good friend who keeps his memoirs. Uh, he's got a Lestrade type character. Uh, people have noticed it, and Christie admitted it, commented on the similarities that this was the English tradition of the detective. Mm-hmm. But I, I would put them as uh, they're two very, very different characters, though. Um, I don't oh yeah, feel for like, sure. I don't feel like it's a direct sort of oh, I can see this being that. It's it's like the French version of the English detective, Belgian. Belgian, sorry, <laughs> right. They called him a frog at one point, and I keep thinking French because of that. Well, and that's uh, the reason I, I jump into correct is because that's almost a running gag throughout the Poirot novels is that everyone thinks he's French, and it constantly annoys him. Yeah. Because he's uh, Belgian, and everyone makes that mistake. So, Pat, continue. Sorry. <clears throat> no, I would. Um, that was pretty much my blanket critique of the whole thing. You know, some of the performances were a little bit stiff but most of them were really good um i was taken aback by the by the actual ending um but i mean obviously by the way they opened the movie with all the armstrong stuff you know it was obvious that that was going to play a big part in whatever the solution was but i didn't think all of them were going to be involved in it what's fun if you know the ending is uh unlike many other interpretations of this story if you know what's going on, you can watch Perot figure it out. He says some unusual things that you'll miss if you don't know uh, what conclusions he's going to draw. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if it's still fun if you're very familiar with the story, his performance. I had never seen this film before, 
Uh, and uh, having watched them in reverse order, as today, how close this stuck to the book, uh, unfortunately, did no favors for the remake because this was just phenomenal. Well, I mean, it's a loaded cast of just in, for the time. Well, for the time forever, for amazingly... For any time. Exactly. Superstars. I mean, just... And not even just like the superstars that we think of now. These are dyed in the wool. These are actors and actresses. Almost everybody in this production has been on Broadway. Exactly. They could have all carried a film on their own and been a billboard name. And have. I mean, you've got Ingrid Bergman and John Gilgood, whose name is frequently... Sir, Sir John Gilgood, who's <laughs> nah. frequently mentioned alongside um, the other, yeah, Sir Lawrence Olivier. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, just to interject, we were just talking about this city of New Orleans taking a train trip and murdering people. How My much? Two favorite things. Yeah. How much for two people to to travel down to the city of New Orleans on a superliner roomette? I think the last time I priced it out, it eighteen hundred. Okay, I don't think it was that bad. It's been a while since I priced it out. I can't remember if it was per person or for two of us. But this I is... think I priced it out at about six fifty. All right, Joel, do you have a do you have an idea? Uh, One dollar. <laughs> All right, you fuck. Um, <laughs> Joel wins. Yes. Oh, yeah. price for, is right, logic. All right, four hundred and fifty dollars. Oh, okay. Wow, that's not bad. is that round trip? No, that's that one, one. That's one way. That's two people, one way. Ah, uh, okay. I think I priced it out years ago, and I priced out the round trip. Yeah, round trip. Uh, yeah, that's gonna be twice that. Can I ask a a, a question about something that in the film that has been bugging me? When we haven't told you if Sean you can Connery ask it yet. Apologize to the guy he punched. No, when Albert Finney's drinking this little green drink with a straw. What is that? That's absinthe. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Use as an aperitif, you know, to settle your stomach after a meal. Mm -hmm. I, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. And he didn't finish it. He just drank what he could through the straw and left a little bit. Well, I mean, there was a sugar cube at the bottom and it hadn't totally dissolved. So you don't finish the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. I thought it was Midori. (laughs) (laughs) The big fan of melons. (laughs) Aren't we all? Well, he, he he did say at one point or another, he's very familiar with the, uh, retreating female form. So, uh, <laughs> Poirot's... Poirot, Poirot, he's Poirot. A, Poirot! He's an ass man. <laughs> Poirot. There you go. Yes. Now the first name. Hercules Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked how he corrected people. And how could you... Why would you say Hercules when you see his name? It's There's no S at the end. Hercules. 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 <laughs> so, it was only Pat who had never seen this before? I've never seen the film. I just knew the ending from the multiple spoilers throughout my life. Yeah, okay. and I, w- I have been intimately familiar with the story, but I had never seen this interpretation. I'd never seen this specific film, and I was so happy that I made the time to see it. Really? Yeah, I, so, I definitely, you know, I definitely enjoyed this movie quite a bit. Well, so, and hearing the kind of mixed criticisms of the new one, that's why I chose to watch them in reverse order. Um, because I was like, okay, I know the 74 one just from the cast alone has got to be better. Even though that's got a great cast in the new one, I mean, forget about it. 
Yeah. I, and I was pleasantly surprised. Like I'd heard you guys talking a little bit about the cast because you guys sort of got into chat about it before I'd uh, sat down to watch it. But then when, because uh, I didn't look at IMDb or anything, I just sat down and then saw that opening credits start to roll. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. That and that and then as they roll through with everybody who's in this, it's like and you it it's like a sucker punch of just amazing actors and actresses. One thing I do want to comment about though is the soundtrack. The music in this is amazing. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is this is with the long long pull shots of the uh, the trains traveling around, long pull shots of all the towns and everything when everything is happening. The this is actually I'm. I'm going to say 90% sure that I have this soundtrack somewhere up in my CD case. I mean, just very well orchestrated across the board. And I found some of the, the, the shots and things to be a little long, but I, I got what Sidney Lumet was going for, and it was very beautifully shot. Um, yeah, definitely wanted to make the train, the environment they're in, uh, almost its own character, which it has to be. Like mm-hmm. you can't like let that just sit. Oh, by the way, we're on a train. Right. <laughs> and the, and the, the claustrophobic atmosphere is what kind of helps uh, with the whole, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're trapped here motif. I mean, the things that have this, it's a very classic detective story, but instead of being on a manor house in the English countryside, you've got this unique setting. You've got some very familiar British detective archetypes and then you've got the surprising ending. So I, I think that's one of the things is it stands apart as an instant classic because of the way it kind of subverts the form. Where like I mean, it, it, the, it makes a lot of sense to me that this is the same person who directed 12 Angry Men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of this, I think, was um, her going from all the other murder mysteries. The butler did it and that whole thing, you know. I think it may have been, I mean, from what I know of Agatha Christie and her attitude and her being kind of a saucy wench, uh, might have just straight up been, you know, screw it. They all did it. <laughs> well, she. it seemed like she wanted to turn the whole genre on its head a bit. Because, I mean, how many times have, even at that point, had people read a story where they're like, oh, there's a twist or, oh, so-and-so did it. But to try and pull that off, I mean, she probably was like, okay. I'm going to throw him a, a curveball here, you know. That sounds about right. I mean, it may be one of those things where she thought it was getting too far along, got bored of the whole idea of there only being, you know, the the formulaic mystery. You know, and she threw that. I mean, can you recall of any other uh, everybody did it one before this? Oh, no way. And also, no, I can't remember another one where the victim was a murderer themselves. Which was intriguing, to, uh, because you could because again you turned it on its head because you made the murderers themselves the good guys sort of yeah and i think the key to this which is one of the things i i, I know i'm spoiling the second half a bit because they didn't address it and it's a huge flaw is the reason why 12 of them did it, it was essential to the story is they're a jury they're convicted they don't see this as a murder they see this as justice mm-hmm and that's explicitly spoken of by Sean Connery in the first one. Yep. Yeah, I didn't get it when I saw the original, but or the the remake. But when I saw the original, I was like, oh. It's I like there's there so many things that that the remake did not seem to understand about the original. Yeah, 
Yeah, there's some shit you sh- really, really shouldn't leave out. That's the one thing that you almost can't leave out. Mm-hmm. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, this is... I know we've talked about movies that what, if you're flipping through the channels and it shows up, you'll put it on and listen to it in the background. Even though I'm probably the person that has seen this the most. Because I can easily say I've seen this more than 20 times in my lifetime. Damn. Um, yeah, I mean, it's my my family. We like murder mysteries. Um, if this is one of those movies where if, it's, if I'm flipping through the channels and it pops up, I'm going to leave it there and I'm going to stop whatever the hell I'm doing and I'm going to sit down and watch it just because it's, you know. Especially if it's that, you know, getting ready for bed scene. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I love myself a mustache. What, what would you call <laughs> like, that? Yeah, what would that be? Mustache cap? Mustache sling? <laughs> Stash. Every time he sling. sticks his head out the door, it's like, who's that lady in there? <laughs> All right, now I looked up mustache sling. That's not it. I got a bunch of uh, porn. Well, I got not porn. Amics. I got a bunch of bags with stash bra. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> I don't know. Do they still sell those? I'm not sure they ever sold those. <laughs> that had... might have been a, like, something he constructed for himself. I can't say as I've ever seen one before. Yeah, this. I haven't either. I hadn't, and they had it in both. So, what do they call it in um in the in the book? I, I mean, they were. It's been a long time since I've read the book. Actually, this inspired me to start picking up my Agatha Christie collection and start reading again because they're pretty short books. They're under two hundred pages a piece. Well, look in that book and find out on break what the, what they called it. Yeah, I have to find my copy. I, I have a lot of paperbacks, dude. <laughs> no. I, I sold or gave away so many of mine. Oh, my God. Wait a second. You got to be kidding me. Okay, I typed into Google what to wear on your mustache when you sleep. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a clever way to do it. And I came up on Amazon with the Stern Mustache Snood. Snood? It is apparently snood. is that's called awesome. a Snood. That's a better name than I ever could have imagined. How do you spell that? S-N-O-O-D. I'm a mustache, no, mustache sling that added a bunch of weird stuff. Mustache huh. Snood. Goddamn, there it is. That is a thing. A Snood, huh? Who said we never teach you people things? <laughs> a mustache. I didn't have one considering the stash you used to have. I was going to say, I've had the handlebar. I never had a Snood. <laughs> That is a phrase I'd never thought I'd hear in my life. <laughs> this is amazing. I did not shopping. What is what is the average cost of a mustache snood? Uh, I've already Googled it, so it wouldn't be fair for not, me to participate. Not, not much. What snood with you? <laughs> hey! That's a, you can get a good one around 20 bucks. I was going to assume 15 to 30. So There are a whole lot of pictures of Stephen Fry wearing a mustache snood. There are, aren't they? Yeah. That's real. <laughs> So anyway, back to the movie. You can get a t-shirt that says, Got Snood. <laughs> nice. Get that for Josh for his birthday. So I want to know, how close was this adaptation to the book? Um, well, the funny thing is, is though my recollection of the particulars of the book were vague, I, watching them in reverse order reminded me of so many more details from the book that this was way, way closer than the one we're going to talk about after the break. It seemed like that might be the case based on our initial findings, but I was curious. Especially, yeah, I'd have to reread the book again to say, okay, well, this this was pretty much 
dead bang on, but between Christie's recommendation herself of this being uh, the only one she was ever satisfied with and my recollections, it's vague recollections, but it's vague recollections of a book I've probably read a dozen times. So it's pretty close. I really have to make a terrible, terrible confession. Uh-oh. We haven't been recording? No. God, no. Oh, that would be <laughs> awful. Uh, no, I was actually going to say I've never read any Agatha Christie books. Really? I, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it would it would take a very minimal amount of effort, even for busy adults, just because they are... Like, if I'm trying to sell you on a new 600-page fantasy novel, I know, okay, you guys maybe can't do that. These... You guys, even you guys can do. Nice. And I actually, I've got, I'm on a subreddit called Free Ebooks, and uh, the Mysterious Case at Styles popped up free this week. So, oh, and I believe that's the first Poirot book. Really? I- I'm pretty sure that that's the name of the first one. And then I, I know am, the last one is Curtain. I am all in then. I will have to read that this weekend. So, have we uh, milked this Belgian dry? Yeah. <laughs> Poirot. I was trying not to do that. Snood. <laughs> wow. That, that I don't know why that just makes me so happy that that's that's it's called a snood. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I think we go to the break and come back to talk about the remake. Snood. Alright, so now we are going to talk about Murder on the Orient Express by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, But first. But first, something Josh discovered. Oh, and I muted my mic. (laughs) I thought I was telling everyone. (laughs) But first, uh, I actually completed a quest given to me by Pat. I found my copy of Murder on the Orient Express. What's fun about this is this is the original copy of Murder on the Orient Express that I had from 1988. Ooh. Oh. Which means I had forgotten. Apparently, part of the assignment in school was for us to guess who did it and write it in the back cover. Oh, no. That guess is still there in my childlike handwriting. (gasps) I can't wait. Wait, do we have to? Should we bet on this before we go go around? I I think you picked McQueen. McQueen? Um, I think, I don't know, McQueen was a good one. I think he chose Hubbard, Caroline Hubbard. Mm, I'm trying to see if there's somebody here I could pick that you guys didn't already pick, because I would have gone McQueen, but we'll say Dr. Eber, the Thubber Lover. Uh, well, in the book, uh, Joel is completely off because the uh, doctor was not a suspect in the book. Well, shut up. He isn't my book. Uh, in the remake, he's a suspect, but in the doc, in in the book, Doctor Constantine is one of the people they know could not possibly have done it because he yeah, was Joel. he was in the other compartment, just like in the original movie, he was in the other compartment with the director. Ah. So he was one of the few people who was eliminated as a possible suspect at the beginning. So uh, my guess was Mary Debenham. Ooh, and I actually beneath that wrote my rationalization. Which is? Says she wore the red kimono to kill Ratchetti, uh, Ratchet, uh, in parentheses, Cassetti, changed in the bathroom uh, into the Wagoner's uniform. In the safety of her own room, she hid the weapon and the uniform. Plausible. I, w- I would definitely go along with that, that uh, theory if I had yeah, not known was, what was going to yeah. happen. 
Yeah, that was my theorem. That was my seventh grade theory. But you're wrong. Oh, yeah, I obviously was wrong. I-, I knew I was wrong before I finished the book. Because Fraser. Yep. So that's that was fun. I, I it was a memory of this that I did not r- uncover until I opened my copy of the book from my shelf. That's where that is cool. I like that. Me too. So, uh, let's get into the remake, if we must. All right, so, same plot, 12 people, killing, death, and murder. murder. Kenneth Bradnaugh, you may know him as all the things that he has done. (laughs) All those Shakespearean efforts. Yep. Uh, So we have Kenneth uh, Bradnaugh as Hercule Peraz. (laughs) Damn damn your eyes. (laughs) Tom Bateman as Book. Penelope Cruz as Pilar Estravos. Willem Dafoe, which I think was a weird pick, but I like it, as Gerhard Hardman. <laughs> Judy Dench as Princess Dragmoff. Johnny Depp as Ratchet. Josh Gad as Hector McQueen. Derek Jacoby as he- Edward Henry Masterman. Leslie Odom Jr. as Dr. Abernoff. Michelle Pfeiffer as Caroline Hubbard. Daisy Ridley as Mary Debenham. Olivia Coleman as Hildegard Schmidt. Lucy Boynton as Countess Helena Andrei. Marwan Kenzazari as Pierre Michel. These are, I, I honestly think at this point, the cast list is fucking with me. Manuel <laughs> Garcia Rufolo as Binemaro Marquez. Sergei Poulon as Count Rudolf Andrei. And Miranda Raison as Sonia Armstrong. And I don't care how many of those I got wrong, I'm drinking. Oh, uh, I was at some of the character names. My eyes started twitching. Mm. Yeah, that was just as painful for us as it was for you. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm bleeding from my anus. I don't understand why. You. All right. Yeah, so get, get through the uh, the trivia because I do want to return to something about the cast, but it's not more important than going to the trivia. Okay. So trivia: the cast often played the popular game Werewolf on the weekends, which I think is hilarious. I'm not familiar with that game. It's remember we go to you at Gen Con, you see those guys in the middle of the night. They're all sitting in a circle. Oh yeah, I know. I know what they're playing. I mean, but I don't. I don't know how oh. it works. I don't. We need to play. Have you g- ever played Mafia? Is that the one where like one person's a hitman and like if you lock eyes with them, they assassinate uh, you? It's it's like a cross between that and Heads Up Seven Up, where everyone puts their heads down. There's an a narrator that says, "Okay, Mafia, look up," or in this case, werewolves, look up. And there's like a doctor who can protect one person from being murdered and an inspector who can tell whether someone is uh, mafia slash werewolf or not. Mm. We it's should, a party game that uh, we played extensively at Hobby Town. We should play Werewolf at Gen Con this year. Well, the problem is, is it is not a game unless you have at least like 10 people. Sounds good. All right, listeners, join us for a game of Werewolf at Gen Con. There you go. Right on. All right, so uh, Penelope Cruz, seemingly being the most innocent player of people who have never seen her other movies, resulted in her often winning the games. <laughs> She's got the Joel syndrome. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, so there's that. A Tale of Two Cities. If you're wondering what uh, Herkachis per uh, Peridot... Oh, now <laughs> you're doing it on purpose. I know. What you what you're wondering what uh, Hercule Perot is reading along the movie is uh, Tale of Two Cities. So there you go. Um, trivia: Jacqueline Bisset, who started the 1974 version, told Kenneth Branagh how excruciating it was to shoot the extended eight-page scene 
in which the murder was revealed. Now, part of the thing, I left this out of the trivia earlier, but uh, they were not, you know, all the different camera angles that they had. They shot all those scenes separately, so because they didn't have enough room to maneuver the camera around. So they would shoot one scene, take a part of the train car out, shoot another scene, and do that whole thing over and over and over again, which is why it was so terrible. Uh, To avoid this feeling among the actors in this version, he shot his side as Perot first, cut to whenever he could... Whenever he could, when shooting the actors up close, and did everything to make sure the whole cast spent as little time as possible on the set during the lengthy scene. For an eight-page monologue... Yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. With the uh, close-ups on his face, remembering how the scene was shot, Mm -hmm. I could see that, and it wasn't jarring at all. No, it, it did play off very well. Uh, Derek Jacoby's partner, Richard Clifford, appears in the film as a maitre d' during a restaurant scene in Istanbul, not Constantinople. Uh, Clifford has also previously appeared in small roles in other Kenneth Branagh-directed films as As You Like It and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which we watched not just a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah, not too long ago. So I've been, yep, I've been pretty rough on this, Um, but... I probably don't hate it as much as it seems like I do because there was a lot that this got right. And uh, I stand by my initial statement when I watched it a couple nights ago with my wife, that this does not deserve a 58% on rotten tomatoes. It's not that bad. 58. Really? Wow. That's a little low. However, just looking at the cast list, you see not the cast list, the character list you see one of the key things that this gets wrong. You've got things that are changed for no reason at all. There are things that are changed that make sense. You don't keep the missionary Swedish if you want to cast uh, Penelope Cruz. Fine. Uh, Randomly making the character of Gerhard Hardman. That was kind of strange. I mean, I get it that you want to, like, move into a more traditional murder mystery trope with the professor. (laughs) But it was weird where they just like randomly threw stuff like Countess Andrani is addicted to drugs for reasons. I kind of bought her addiction because she, her, her sister had been abducted and she did not. She was in a paranoia about it, that happening to her. Well, I don't necessarily like, yes, you can come up with character reasons why that's a fine thing to do. I don't know that that's a change from the text that to my tastes added anything to the story. No, it didn't need to be done, but I, I mean, I just, I liked that scene. I thought the actress did a great job in it. And then you have truly ridiculous stuff like, uh, the doctor slash Colonel shooting Poirot. That made no sense. I am completely uh, with you Poirot on this. saying, to get away with this while I'm chewing the scene, you must shoot me with this unloaded gun. That was ridiculous. I didn't like the way that this film kind of turned turned Hercule into this like badass, almost superhero type, where he's getting in fisticuffs and getting shot and has a death wish, go ahead and shoot me. You know, I mean, that's not the character. Right, and they also decided to take his I'm uh, peculiar and particular and decide to make him full-on OCD, which would be interesting if they hadn't already done it better with Monk. 
Well, true. And were they trying to to bite on the whole Sherlock Holmes Guy Ritchie thing style, where you know? Yeah, and that's just... what I, that's one thing I, I I was noticing as I as I do all the 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 smart detectives now have to be big badasses like Batman. Yeah. Can, you, can you just be smart and that's it? Like, oh. And what was up with the kung fu spin kick from Count uh, Count Andrani? Yeah, that whole him being a, like a MMA badass, self defense, you know, like they, he's they violent. Yeah, he's violent, but he does not have to be a martial arts expert. It adds nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured that I was just his dance training. <laughs> So I don't know. There are some things that this does very well. It was beautifully shot. Oh yeah, the, every scene was gorgeous. But I mean, like the first movie where we talked about the train was almost a character and it was claustrophobic and everything. They spent way too much time trying to find any reason to get out of the train. Yeah. The scene, the the chase scene down the 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 uh, the bridge for no reason at all. They bring him back up and. Okay, everything's forgotten. Then he just tried to run away for no reason. Like we don't even, you know, bring it up again. We we caught him and brought him back. And okay, good. The the, the little picnic scene with um with uh, Debenham and him out sitting out at the table having coffee. I mean, they kept going into the tunnel for all kinds of reasons. I mean, they 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 kept trying to find any reason to leave the train. And that is that is part of the claustrophobia, the first one. I think that's a that's a good quality to have in this movie because. As Josh said, you know, if, if you're not focusing on the fact it's the Orient Express and you're stuck on a train, then it's just, you know, a murder on a train is all right. it is. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the CGI was just so bad every time they did those sweeping, un, un, unnatural, unnecessary shots. It that, looked, I mean, it, it looked kind of pretty, but I wouldn't even call it cinematography because it was all done on computer. That really kind of annoyed me because the compared to the cinematography on the outside shots – of an actual train traveling on that route. I mean, in the in the first one, you can tell. I mean, you're you're looking at actual countryside in this one. It was you're right. It was almost jarring in looking at this video game background. Um, I'll also single out some things that I thought also were very good. I enjoyed Tom Bateman. He was very different from Book in the book, and uh, he was all obviously very different. From Monsieur Book in the original, who was much closer to the text. But they both kind of had a, we're the comic relief guy. And I did enjoy his comic relief moments. Yeah. I think if if you're going to see talk about the, the comic relief side of things, I think I really did enjoy, well, I lost his name, not Doctor, was it Colin Blakely? Who's hard? Not Hartman. Uh, who was I? I completely lost. Who was the guy who was like every time somebody left the room? Uh, Jean Pierre Castel. They're guilty. It was oh, no, him. that was Monsieur Book again. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the. They're both the director of the train, where he's an older guy, and he's kind of yeah jumping to conclusions. This one is a younger guy who is a layabout, yeah, and useless human being, but kind of fun and rakish. Yeah, and, and his the introduction of his character in that bakery was actually pretty funny. And when he and Penelope Cruz, when she talks about how she's not into sin, and he's like, oh, we will not be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with this new one, I what I don't I found confusing about it was how people were so open to tell the story of why they're on the train to begin with. 
Yeah, it's a little bit more natural in the original, where the only person that's constantly talking about why they're on the train is uh, the person who turns out to be Linda Arden, and mm-hmm. she's putting on a show. Right, she's and acting Mrs. to try and cover for everybody else. And everyone's complaining about uh, Mrs. Hubbard the whole time, because she's talking so much, they want to avoid her, which actually helps her cover. Mm-hmm. And the whole stabbing in the back thing was kind of strange, too. Yeah, I just just so many of these things. It's like, okay, we need an action scene. We need a dramatic moment here. And it's like, no, you didn't actually need those things. Yeah, it, it seemed like it inserted a lot of Hollywood trope when it didn't need to. Yeah, because they 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 have this opinion that you know, and 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 it's there might be some truth to it, but if we don't put enough action into this, it's not going to catch anywhere. We're not going, you know, and pe- people don't want to watch a movie like the original anymore, but. There's an audience for it, but there's not like a, you know, $200 million audience for it. Right. Yeah. And it occasionally insulted the audience's intelligence. Uh, while I'll agree that modern audiences might not be cognizant of all the particulars of the British uh, India situation of the period. They completely cut all of that. Yeah. And decided, and I'm all for saying, okay, we're going to redo this film. And the original had too many white dudes so we're going to make it a little bit more uh diverse but do that in a way that is not ham-fisted like the way they went about it Mm -hmm. it it did not ring true for me you mean with a doctor Uh, with the doctor and all of the uh bolting on discussions of race and racism like i'm all about like taking these classic problematic stories and addressing issues of race and racism that's that's like my jam but it was so badly fumbled the way they did it yeah i mean especially with um willem defoe's character uh, yeah well, with him constantly being racist and although i did like his reveal it was a fun scene it was it, a nice reveal. That was cool, especially when he when he does the whole oh, it's based you know, you know there was this this butcher that lived in my neighborhood when I was growing up. This is the guy that I'm trying to uh, trying to be, but at the yeah. same time, it you, you almost every scene where you had him in it before then was like racist, 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 racist. I'm doing this because I'm well, being told was very to. racist. So he's just trying to stay true to character. True, you got me there. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. They they just made so many random changes to the way things uh, came together, the reasonings for characters. There were some great performances along the way, but there were uh, an equal number of bad scene-stealing overacted ones mm-hmm. to kind of balance that just, out. There were some just jarringly bad performances at certain points that you know actually took me out of the movie entirely. Like Penelope Cruz at the very end during the big reveal, you know, her little breakdown speech. I was like, I actually stopped it and was laughing. I was like, what was that? <laughs> Daisy Ridley is awesome. However, she is 15 years too young to play the governess uh, to, uh, well, shit. I just tried to say a name and Mike changed the and deleted the cast list. No, that would be me. I was, oh, but there we go. <laughs> there we go. She is uh, 15 years too young to play the uh, governess to Lucy Boynton. I would definitely agree with that. And that was something Sarah pointed out. My bad for calling you out, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, you know, well, it's not important. You know, patent computers. 
Right. What? He's only saying that because he knows it makes you irritated. <laughs> Patent computers and buttons and shit. Yeah. Pat doesn't know computers. And Joel had a rich childhood. Yep. Things we know to be true. Ass hat. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely something that was lacking in this one, and I, I can't quite put my finger on it. And I think you guys have probably made a lot of good points to prove that. But watch them in reverse order. There definitely was just something that was missing. And I, I, I think it was just the, the, the little changes that took you out of the whole claustrophobia of the original. That is what is missing in this one. It's with jo- like with Josh Gad trying to escape with them, with the when when he at the very end, when they're all sitting at the table and you're. You're just like, could you possibly, why not just write Last Supper across the top of the screen when you shoot this? <laughs> right. I, um, you know, and the thing is, I expect so much more from Kenneth Branagh's films. I mean, I didn't, I mean, that was so, that was almost as bad as Neo is Christ at the very, at the last uh, Matrix movie. I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. There's only ever one Matrix movie. <laughs> That's why I love you. Even I have watched that. It, it was so good. Uh, Johnny Depp was unfortunately really Johnny Depp. Like I, I used to love this guy, but the last five, ten years, he's gone a little loopy. He's kind of a caricature of himself, and he is. Uh, him and Brenna are, are chewing the scenery every moment they're on screen. I don't know how Brenna could chew anything with that mustache on a mustache. <laughs> I will say, if I was going to salvage a few things from this that would improve the original, sending today's Judy Dench back in time to play Princess Dragomirov. Oh, yes. totally. Um, and some of the ways they shot the train when it was a train and not a CGI train. I wish they could send that mustache back. <laughs> back uh, yeah, I was going to say, hope they kept the receipt. <laughs> yeah. I like the mustache. That's, I mean, of all the things that were wrong with this, the mustache was least offensive to me. It was just a little too... Okay, so if you've got the original and almost every portrayal of Poirot's mustache not being enough, this, they extended it till it was enough. <laughs> and then like a Saturday Night Live gag, they went just a little further. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like it was it was too much. And, you know, the... They need they needed to rein that shit in. The first mustache would have been more than enough. Like the 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 mustaches, you know, the mustaches mustache thing. Mustache, no. mustache, yeah. mustache, mustache. Yeah, mustaches mustache. shouldn't have layers and levels. Snood. He had a yeah, hell, of, had a a hell snood. of a snood. <laughs> <laughs> Pat and Mike said the same thing. Everybody drink. Uh, that's that a lie. Almost a hair topiary. <laughs> <laughs> this was like a dinosaur in it. A hair pagoda. <laughs> a pagoda. Oh, now you're just stupid. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, okay. Joel. You ruined it. That's nothing new. <laughs> That's <laughs> our Joel. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> I mean, it. I, I think I think that the what I just said earlier was completely sums this up. Kenneth Branagh, I expected more. You know, I really was not for the stuff that you have done. Like the Henry the Henry the Fifth, and especially much ado about nothing and that sort of thing, I I expected more from you on this sort of thing. Unfortunately, it I think this may have been decisions made around a board table. Yeah, I think there's a little of that. Bunch of guys in suits, you know. 
And the age problem and some of the race issues being hand-handed make me so sad because Daisy Ridley was really a very charismatic Mary Debenham. She was. Like, I, I loved watching her and just it, it was a shame that so much around her and Willem Dafoe and Judy Dench was so bad. Well, and I can't seem to decide was this a passion project that Kenneth Branagh wanted to do and loved the source material and was excited to do it or was somebody in a studio saying we want to make this movie it, this feels like a Kenneth Branagh joint somebody give him a call uh, I don't know a little bit of column A a little bit of column B possibly Kenneth's like oh yeah I love that story okay I'm on and then he didn't realize what he was getting into Yeah, it's either a case of too much studio interference or not enough and I, I'm not sure which hmm I think too much. I really do. Because I would, with knowing Kenneth Branagh's previous stuff, stuff, scenes like the uh, Last Supper shot, which were, I mean, it, it would be cool if it was subtle, but it was not. I, I expect more from him than, his, than what we got from this one. Well, I think we learned in uh, the Frankenstein show that, that sometimes if you don't rein him in, he can get a little bit a little bit over the top. Little shirtless. A little bit. No, that too. A little bit slappy. <laughs> he can get a lot shirtless. <laughs> Not in this one. That's because he didn't have complete tr- control. Oh. He had a shirtless well, mustache. Poirot would have been running around topless, believe me, if he was, you know. If Outside he was of the train. Rule 34, Poirot. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Googling that. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're going to get a lot of pictures of Ross Poirot doing bad things. 34. On that note. No, not on that note. Please not. That note. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think if we have anything else to say. I mean, the other real cardinal sin is that the whole point of there being 12 stab wounds and 12 murderers was that they were a jury. <clears throat> Did not get talked about. Nope. Didn't even mention it. Huh. Kind of the point. If you type in Rule 34 Perot, you get a Perot and Marple. That's okay. I'm not clicking that link. Oh, no. Anyway, twelve men, twelve good men as a jury, as her as it was spoken of in the first movie. <coughs> yes, I think this train has run out of steam. This train has run out of steam. Yeah, yeah we may have just hit an av- avalanche here. I completely the the shipping of Poirot and Miss Marple completely derailed my brain. All right, well maybe the, where we're at is given our thumbs up, thumbs down. I think this is gonna have to probably be a pretty qualified one otherwise it's shockingly obvious what is your qualification then well i mean for me this is a very very enthusiastic thumbs up for the original and a barely thumbs down for this i mean there are almost enough good things to uh recommend this film but just it's funny if i had had to tell you thumbs up or thumbs down on the remake before i saw the original I would have said there are some problems, but I give the remake a thumbs up. Comparing the two, though, it just suffered so much when seeing it done right. I would I would agree with all of that, actually. Dun, dun, dun. I think that was very, very well said. Well, well thank you. I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed saying it as much as I enjoyed hearing it. I hope you enjoyed saying it and hearing it as much as I did recording it. <laughs> I'll stay here. You go over there. Um, 
Well, I definitely thumbs up for the original. I'll, I, I, you know, I had a couple of issues with some of the the pacing, but it was the seventies. Um, and I almost want to give it a sideways thumb for this one. Cause there were definitely things I enjoyed about it, but I wouldn't say it was bad. I just, when you're comparing the two, like you said, it's, uh, if I decide I want to watch Murder on Orient Express, it's definitely going to be the first, the one from 74, or a completely different one. I'm not going to watch this one. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up for the original and a sideways thumb for this one, the new one. Hmm. Uh, for me, thumbs up for the first one. Like I said, I've seen it a bunch of times. For the first one, I would give it a thumbs up because if you're if somebody had watched that as the first time they had seen murder on the orient express you could be like you thought that was okay where do you see this so it's kind of like that gateway drug to good murder mysteries you know you kind of get that like taste of what could possibly be and then you're like oh wait if somebody actually writes this well we've got this yeah, I definitely think like if murder mysteries are a big part of your life, as reflecting on it, they really always have been for me. Between my first author love being Agatha Christie to my first computer game love being The Colonel's Bequest, to the fact that over the last 20 years, probably 17 of them have been New Year's Eve murder mystery parties. Like, this is a bigger part of my life than I think I've properly appreciated. <laughs> In fact, I think you have a problem. I might have a murder mystery problem. <laughs> and Agatha Christie. Can we like, solve it? Mm. Especially if you start with Murder on the Orient Express as your gateway drug and then go to the almost horror infused and then there were none 10 Little Indians. Mm. Like if you haven't read that, you really should. Yeah. Uh, I mean, those those are going to be your subverting the genre and then you can go back and read all of Christie's other stuff even when it's bad it's great yeah and then you can watch Clue yes oh to do a send up I actually uh, because you guys were talking about it earlier I was curious I googled how often did the butler butler do it it's one of those things like play it again Sam the butler almost never does it <laughs> really? there have been only two recorded examples in uh murder mysteries that were popularly read of the butler being the killer. It's one of those cliches that was never really a thing. Huh? Yeah. Right. Interesting. I mean, you would think that there would be at least like dozens of them where like, Oh, Hey, the butler, butler, butler. But no, I mean, if you're it's the red herring. Yeah. Frequently, that's the thing is the butler is framed or you think the butler did it and he didn't. Hmm. Way more common than the butler actually being the killer. Nice. I learned something. I have to get a butler. We learned. We laughed. We stabbed a little. <laughs> and then we stab a lot. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Joel. Yes? What are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to watch Paul Kersey have a death wish. I'm we're curious to see how this oh. is going to go. The 1974 and 2018 death wish film. Nice. Well, if you want to give us your theories on who did it, well, I guess we already told you who did it, but you can call us anyway. Call us at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And uh, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talk, Shoe, and Podverse, FM, NoonFM.com. He chose to end in song. (laughs) I'm trying to make a jingle. I don't think it worked. Jingle, jingle. 
All right. Well, thank you for listening, and uh, come back for more of this crap next week. I chew hair. (laughs) (laughs) That was disturbing. How do you like my hair, Brian? You're eating my hair.